eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 58. Don't join the company unless you have these three core values because you're going to hate it here. Three words joy, humility, and ministry. We say if those three core values sound attractive to you, please join us. You have a community of brothers and sisters here that are going to make this great. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody? I am Jay Scott. I am your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here once again this week with my lovely co-host, Carol Scott. How's it going today, Carol? Well, listeners, it's a hot and steamy 89 degrees here in Southwest Florida. Summer <laughs> is clearly here to stay. You, you working on your radio voice there? Oh, my gosh. I think I've got a meteorologist slash weather person wrapped up today. Tell you what, though, it's crazy, right? Memorial Day came and went and summer is here. And thank goodness, you know, I love it. Yes, it's very nice weather out there, but let's stop talking about the weather and start talking about more fun stuff. So the last several weeks on this show, we've talked about a lot about buying businesses and how we as entrepreneurs can use the opportunity to buy businesses to really just grow our portfolio. This week, we have an amazing guest. His name is Josh McCallan. Josh buys, renovates, turns around high-end resorts. And so the reason Josh is on the show today actually is because a few months ago, I happened to stay at one of his resorts and the experience absolutely blew me away. His team have absolutely mastered the customer experience. They've built a world-class culture. They built a world-class brand that really engages their guests and not only their guests, but their employees as well, and really keeps people coming back for more. I was blown away. I knew at that time that I had to have Josh on the podcast to talk to him more about how he builds his culture, how he builds his brand, and how he builds those experiences that are critical for any business. In this episode, Josh tells us the three simple words that he uses to build his culture 
and how we can do that in any business, how you can and how you should be implementing the same principles to elevate your business and at the same time, your bottom line. Amazing episode. If you want to learn more about Josh, if you want to learn more about his business, check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow58. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow58. Now, before we jump into this episode with Josh, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Is there anything more frustrating than knowing you have to call a business to get answers to your question, but also knowing that you'll probably spend more time on hold than you will actually getting your issue resolved? Your customers simply don't have patience for that anymore, which is why Podium is the perfect messaging tool for your business. Podium allows customers to text your business and brings all communication into one streamlined inbox. Facebook messages, payment requests, feedback surveys, online reviews, Podium pulls them all together in one place. Staying in close touch with your customers will not only help keep them happy, but it'll help you retain them. Plus, Podium's shared inbox allows your whole team to stay on the same page when it comes to your customers. Look, 90% of customers prefer to text a business, but only half of businesses have that capability. Does yours? Join the 45,000 businesses that rely on Podium to communicate with their customers today. Go to podium.com slash BPB, like Bigger Pockets Business, to get started and save 10% off your monthly subscription. Texting isn't just the better way to get more reviews, it's the better way to do business. Again, that's 10% off using podium.com slash BPB. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at Pat Live. Look, as a seasoned real estate investor, I understand that every phone call from a motivated seller is worth potentially tens of thousands of dollars in my pocket. So I want every single phone call answered and answered professionally. And that's what Pat Live does. Pat Live offers 24-7 live answering services so you can spend less time on the phone and more time growing your real estate business. And you never have to worry about missing a call. Pat Live is available to answer your calls 365 days a year. Their virtual receptionists are all located in the U.S. and provide all the benefits of a personal receptionist at a fraction of the cost. They offer fully customizable scripts and call handling experiences to fit your business needs. They offer everything from message taking, call screening and transfers, to lead collection, appointment scheduling, order processing, and more. And now, for a limited time only, Pat Live is offering listeners of this podcast 15% off their regularly listed rates. Visit try.patlive.com slash biggerpockets to get started with a 14-day free trial and lock in this limited time offer. Again, that's try.patlive.com slash biggerpockets. Thanks so much to our awesome sponsor. Okay, without any further ado, welcome Josh McCallum to the show. Josh, welcome to the show. I have to tell you before we get started that a couple months back, Jay came back from an absolutely amazing experience at one of your resorts, and we could not be more thrilled to have you on the show. So welcome. What a compliment (laughs) coming from you guys. This is a really nice, that's a nice way to have a show start. Thank you, Carol. (laughs) Oh, our pleasure. I'll tell you, a lot of our guests end up 
coming from our real life experience. And so, yeah, a couple months ago, uh, I was at one of your resorts, Renault Winery up in New Jersey. We had a mastermind up there with Matt Faircloth. A lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with Matt Faircloth. And you hosted us and it just, it absolutely blew my mind. And I, I knew at that point we had to have you on and talk about what you've done, what you're doing, and some of the your core hospitality principles that I'm sure we'll dig in as we go through the show. So thank you for it's being here. Super privileged to share this. It's what we, sometimes business all starts with a why. Actually, hopefully for everybody, it starts with your deep why. I've heard your story, Carol and Jay. I know yours all started with a why. This whole thing, everything I do does really start with a heart for hospitality. And it's funny how good that fits with business. So I'm super happy to share these principles because they do kind of work in all the businesses I've been a part of. I think they'll work for anybody's business. That's awesome. Okay. So in general, you buy distressed resorts as a business. And Correct. certainly there's a real estate component here. I mean, uh, you, you raise money and you buy real estate. Uh, but unlike a lot of people who are in the real estate side of this business, you're in the business and the hospitality side of this business. So take us back. How did you get kind of to where you are now as, as somebody who who buys and renovates hospitality businesses, resorts. Okay. We're going to have some fun here, Carol. You'll love this. It actually goes back to, you know, we'll give it a little pitch here on the whole life story. I should not pitch a summary. Started off as a nice, you know, family. I'm sure sadly they break up, they little divorce there. But the biggest transition in our life was when my, my lovely mom at 28 was struck down with a, a, a stroke, never worked again. So we ended up growing up in kind of a desperate financial situation. And I remember being like eight, eight years old. I'm in charge of the laundry and like dinner. And I'm watching this old house because there's nobody in the house to fix anything. So I always say this old house taught me how to be a handyman. Right. Okay. And then I'm a child of the seventies and eighties. And I always make a joke that die hard in 1985 taught me how to how to be a, you know, a man, you know what I mean? I remember watching Die Hard and sweating at 10 years old. I'm like, I could, I could kill someone right now to protect my family. Right. So those two things are kind of paramount to my little life story. And it's just a scrapper's story, you know, uh, always kind of happy to work. So entrepreneurial, since I was a little kid selling cotton candy, I got a Christmas gift, a cotton candy maker. It's actually in the other room. Started selling that as a kid, but tra fast forward, my dream was to do what this old house was doing which is craftsmanship and architecture, but I had no path to that. So later in life, after a, a wonderful time working in Europe, actually got to run a, a resort. Well, I had a functional role in the hotel component of a 700-year-old property in the foothills of the Alps for four years. Melanie and I lived a sound of music life, which was very formative for Melanie and I. Uh, it was when we were young, we had a couple kids in Austria, and we came back to America and we said, this was 2006, the boom is going on. We literally had raised money or saved money, lived very frugally, even though we were in Europe, we just kind of lived the kind of the authentic natives life, you know, which is very get out in nature and kind of save money thing. So when we came home, we had money. And I said, Melanie, I remember I studied that MBA and all that. It's time to start a business or to get into real estate development. And she's like, what? How are you going to do that? You've been in universities. You've been a kind of like a hotel person, but you've never done real estate or, or anything. So I just started pitching business plans to developers. And I said, I don't know how to be a real estate developer. I'm going to be a lender to real estate developers and get in the rooms with them and pitch 
business concepts, how to sell homes better. And I have a whole strategy how to do that and everything. And it was the boom days. So developer after developer would take these meetings because my pitch was, hey, uh, no, no cost. I'm going to come in and I'll show you how you could trans, you know, sell more homes to more people more efficiently. And I had this whole wonderful dissertation. I went to Wharton at night and gave my presentations there and learned how to do this. I wrote a, MBA, a business plan. Everything was cool. One developer said, I'll give you a shot. And he put me right into uh, building luxury homes. So even though I'm sitting there pitching how to sell, it was the boom days and there weren't enough GCs. So I jumped right from learning how to sell a home, a luxury home, to there was just no time. Literally within a month, here we are sitting in there in suits and shirts and we're talking about how to sell things. He said, I just need people helping build the things. And we have a pipeline of opportunity. Just get down there and help the builders. And literally... That's 15, 20 years later from my dream of being like a this old house guy. And I'm now I'm a builder. Uh, in my first house, I'm like co-leading the construction all of a sudden was $6 million. And then my second house was for an NFL football player. That was a $5 million, very affordable house. Then my third house was a $12 million house I got to work on. So yeah, I wasn't the lead on all of them. One, I got to be a lead on one and my life changed. I started learning how to build and all those kinds of fun things. But it was not until the recession that I really started becoming more of a business person. Uh, lots of fun challenges that kind of led us to where we are today. But at the end of the recession, that same great developer who became a mentor of mine said, we have a hotel that is a dump. What would you do with it? And he owned it. It was his. But I, I kind of was able to kick around a business plan. And we developed a business plan for restoration and I called it my Michael Gerber moment. If you know Michael Gerber's book, E-Myth. Absolutely. I said, here's, here's the deal. And this is one of our principles we try to teach is if we're going to do it, let's do it as a franchise prototype. This is very Jay Scott of me. So if we're going to fix up an asset that you bought, you know, here's the good news. I really love this gentleman. He bought it pre-recession to tear it down and build condos. Well, the recession of 08 destroyed the condo market on beaches. So forget that. So now we owned a beachfront hotel that hadn't been updated since 1974 and looked like crap. And we're post-recession, and we're still in that 12, 2012. He said, what would you do? And we concocted a plan from scratch that talked about restoration of the building in order to have, you know, to transition its marketplace position and then to do that multiple times because we simply surveyed the world and said, we're in the northeast of America, tons of wealth outside of New York where we are but terrible resorts. And so I said, what if we could do a franchise prototype? We'll use your first asset, we'll build a prototype model, and we'll try to do this up and down all the way through Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard. We thought we'd be the gurus of resort restoration. Turns out there was a big surprise there. Hospitality is not about buildings. And so that's where I stopped becoming a real estate guy and started becoming a true business owner and a hospitality focused owner because you you know this and I'll 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 give you a minute here to to catch your breath. You know that when you go to a beautiful hotel it's it takes your breath away. The smells and all those types of things, especially I'm picturing like some of my favorite down on South Beach, Miami. And I go into like La Fontainebleau and the fragrance catches my attention. I love the architecture. It's modern even though I'm more of a traditionalist, but whatever. So I walk in but if anybody were to be rude to me, just like they might be rude to you or whatever, I suddenly start disliking the place. So here they are spending a billion dollars on this beautiful building, 
but every single interaction can destroy it. And that's what happened to us. Our first project that we pitched to the principal owner, and I just you know, wrote this business plan with them and got it all built and we delivered it. And boy, this is going to shock you, Jay. The first summer we opened, we handed the keys over to some third-party management group and the F word was a common expression at the front desk because, you know, tough New Yorkers spending a lot of money on a night, if you don't treat them great, if you don't have the service protocols, they hate you. <laughs> so we went from building the prettiest building, new building in New Jersey that year to the F word was a common word. And I, and I remember having this massive epiphany that it's actually not the building. It's the heart of the business that transforms whether people like a business, especially hospitality. And that's when everything changed. Uh, we started becoming like kind of uh, students of organizational health for the staff and service uh, as a culture. And so that's kind of transformed the rest of our life since 2012. I absolutely love that. And some so some things I noticed in there that, that really like kind of resonated with me. Number one, I know a lot of people that want to get into business or get into real estate. They kind of had this idea that this is where I want to be. I want to do X. And to do X, my path has to be this and this and this, A, B, C, D, till I get to X. And you didn't take that route. You kind of said, I know I want to get into real estate, so I'm just going to start pitching developers. And a developer didn't say, great, I'm going to take money from you and we're going to execute your plan. A developer said, I'm going to put you on the front lines of, of doing some new builds. And instead of saying, nope, that's not my plan. That's not where I'm headed. You said, this is an opportunity. And you seized that opportunity and you said, I'm going to take it. I'm going to figure out how to use that opportunity to get to where I want to go, as opposed to saying, nope, it's not part of my plan. You were flexible. Uh, well, thank and, you. Yeah, it's a good point. Actually, and, I never and, thought of it that way. Yeah, and that flexibility, that that willingness to say, "Okay, life didn't throw me exactly what I wanted, but it threw me an opportunity." You seize that opportunity just as enthusiastically as if it threw you the perfect opportunity that you were looking for. So, one, I absolutely love that. And then the other thing I love is you talked. You knew early on that you really wanted to do franchising and and franchising right. of a model. And what you eventually realized was. The franchising, you thought the franchising was the real estate part, um, but it turns out that the real estate part wasn't the franchising part. The real estate part was the culture and the systems and processes that make a great experience. And so, um, and, and that certainly, I, my experience at, at your winery up in New Jersey, Renault, um, that kind of, that, that really hit home. Like it was clear that you guys nailed that experience. It was oh. all about experience. There was nobody using the F word there. It was just the opposite. <laughs> um, so so let's talk about this. So you realize that you you, you build this, and, and I'm sorry that, that I'm kind of rambling here, but I'm excited because I, I love this I because it's kind of, it's so the much. real estate, it's the business, it's the experience. It's kind of like, it's everything that's important in business. Okay, so you realize that you you built this thing and and you physically built it. You handed over the keys and the new management team basically they struggled. They struggled. They struggled. And this, you know, one of the other cool things you and I and and Carol, the the saddest part is that you didn't get to join Jay when he came up to one of the resorts, and he, the whole time he was there, he was talking about you. He said how you would have wanted to have your wedding with us in the vineyards. Totally. And I can't wait till we have a spa someday soon, but not yet. We don't have our spa, but we have all these wonderful. He kept saying, I can't believe Carol's not here, <laughs> you know, so we'll get you back after this crazy time in the world. Can't right now. wait. I am counting down the days, my friend. <laughs> 
But yeah, you know what else happened, Jay? And, and we don't have to go into all these things because there's so much. The whole way that transition happened was we realized business is actually sometimes not what you think it is. So we thought it was pretty buildings sold at a higher price for room rentals. And we thought that was it. But in hospitality, it's kind of a microcosm of the economy. And our this is our new way of understanding life is it's super personal. It's intimate. And therefore, it hypersen- it's a very, the service part is hypersensitive. Now, if you take our intense hypersensitivity to the personal experience that we've been building and you apply it to any company, franchising, fundraising, podcasting, it will transform and create an exponential leverage for you. So that's, that's what we do. You know, we're not just in hospitality anymore. We own a construction company now. Of course, we own a franchising company that we, we – we call it a franchising company, Viva May. But it's really our company that we will acquire 100 resorts with. Uh, but we run it as if it's a franchise to ourselves, like Hilton or Marriott. And, yeah, I don't want to go on – I want to let you guys pepper me with questions. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate the last thing I'll say about that is what we had to do is develop a turnaround skill. So when we uh, to go back to that first opportunity in 2012, where I was so grateful, my mentor gave me the opportunity to build that business with them. The the third party management company imploded because they couldn't handle resort seasonality. It's a whole nother speech I could give about the intense opportunity and destructive power of seasonal resorts, right? Because you're charging six, seven, eight hundred dollars a night sometimes, and the expectations are four seasons. And you're doing it with a staff that you hired three and a half weeks ago. How do you do that? That's that's otherworldly hard. We can talk all about that some other time. But we ended up having to like develop our turnaround skills because every season we had to become a turnaround company. And that kind of got us ready for where we're at in the economy today. Okay. Excellent. So, so, so you get to where you realize this isn't about real estate. This is about something different. And you saw that the first company that you handed over the keys to didn't execute. What were your next steps? How did you get from there to to where you are? Yeah. Okay. So we no grand solution. You know, we're we're normal humans. So at first we realized no matter what, we had to take this back over. What what we did is we quickly assessed the situation. They were struggling even though they ran thirty other professional hotels. And you're like, well, how could they have thirty years and thirty hotels? that they have all this experience. They were struggling because of that turnaround problem. The the seasonality is so intense that that's not how their other resorts are. I came to learn the whole industry. One, the fact that the Marriott's and the Hilton's run at 80 to 85% annual occupancy, which means you don't have very high turnover, you have great training programs, everything goes pretty smoothly. So if you're the management company, you literally get a cushy job, right? Because the brands tell you how to run it. You just show up and collect the fee and do the bookkeeping. Set well, it and forget it. Set it and forget it, which is nice for the brands. Well, in our world, we get to have higher yield, we get higher opportunity, but we have higher operational challenges. And they did not account for that. So when they showed up, their staff literally almost all turned over within the first month, and they were trying to run a hotel at 30% of their staff level. Guests are coming. We're charging a lot because it's brand new, and it imploded. And they were happy to leave because it's just not their model. So we ended up having to build that model. And that model is a challenging model. And uh, it's it's a deep model. We can talk about it sometime. But uh, that that was that was when we realized we have to do this ourselves. And sometimes that happens. It's not a commodity type of, of uh, skill. 
what we do, which is turn, which is this resort opportunity where we buy distressed, buy value, use the Warren Buffett method. Well, if we're going to get all that, we're going to buy distressed business. We're really turnaround business people in hospitality. That's kind of what we ended up having to build was a robust management strategy, process, philosophy, and we kind of crystallized that. Excellent. So I'm so curious to know, it sounds like, like you said, the staff was just up and gone, which I, yep. it probably turned out to be a good thing, I would suspect, because it gave you the opportunity to do what you needed to do and build this thing kind of from the ground up on hospitality service customer experience level. So two questions in there. One, how did you go about doing that? And I I heard you mention maybe four or five minutes back, I heard you mention Viva May. We yes. haven't talked about that yet. And I think that's a crucial part of your overall strategy, philosophy, outlook, and so on. So I'd love for you to incorporate what is Viva May and how did that play into you beginning to relaunch and grow this business, how it needed to be grown? So thanks for asking. Yeah. Melanie, my lovely wife, who you would you would just love, she's the mother of 10, very heroic. She and I named our new company Viva May which was a stylized French words, two words that we learned for the last eight years. The two things we would have to do to build a massive hospitality brand is we'd have to buy distressed resorts and do a beautiful turnaround over the physical building. And then two, the second thing, we'd have to do a beautiful thing with the heart and soul of the business. So we found French words that mean to revive the soul. Viva May, two words pushed together. And so we were, we shoved the word soul right into the name. Now, of course, it's in French, so it's pretty, Ame. And we said, this is how we're going to run the business. Now, we put all the chips in on the table, and we said, this is our calling in life. We do love architectural symmetry and the peace that great design can bring to you. And it really lifts you up. I hope Jay felt some of that. But we know that that's never going to get you there. So we went just as heavy in the culture. And we use the name Viva May to be the culture. And we, we've turned it into a verb in our kind of our company. And we say, now here's where you listeners are like me. You're looking for an edge. Viva May, using it as a, uh, like a training device, it means three things to our team. We say, great news. By the way, here's a couple of strategies I use and our team uses. By the way, I'm part of a 100-person company. I'm not the only one who can do any of this. So... We, we, we set a vision, we work on enculturating the vision, and we let people help us. So we say, great news. No one can join the team unless you share these three core Viva May values. And these values work in every business. They work really well in hospitality. So if you're an airbnb or if you're in hospitality in any level and you want to kind of supercharge your success, here are the three core values. We say, don't join the company unless you have these three core values because you're going to hate it here because we're a dog with a bone and we're never going to stop. Number one is three words, joy, humility, and ministry. That's the three, joy, humility, and ministry. We say if those three core values sound attractive to you, please join us. You have a community of brothers and sisters here that are going to make this great. So I'll describe what I mean by joy, humility, and ministry. These came to me over 12 years or eight years of running those resorts and going through turnover of 500 employees a year sometimes on purpose because we're seasonal, right? And we had to get training down to three words. And at that place, I used different words. Here, we kind of got crystal clear. Joy means you cannot be in this business, and I think any business, unless you share the joy of the product or service with the guest. You actually have to enjoy it. 
And this is obvious in hospitality. You and I have been to a bar once, right? We've been to a bar experience and the bartender loves their job and they're like 40 and they could probably be doing 16 other different careers, but they love it because this is in their heart. They're, it's joy. They find joy in their work. We can only hire those people. That's actually part of the trick. Two, humility. So what we do up front is we say, great news. Hospitality is humble. Now in our business, it's extremely humble. We clean toilets and make beds. We pick up trash. We say hi to guests and hold the doors. It's, there's nothing that an arrogant person can sink their teeth into. <laughs> you must seek humility or else you'll hate it here. It'll, it'll rot your soul. And you've been to those experiences in ho hotels or hospitality where they're doing you a favor by getting you a cup of coffee or they're doing you a favor. That's because their soul is, is like hurting that they hate it so much. They Their don't soul want has them. been sucked out and they have sucked no desire out. to be doing what they're doing. Let's be real. Uh, exactly. And the other thing about humility that catches our attention is I used to be that kind of intrepid entrepreneur that thought I could do things really well. And hospitality broke me of that because it is so many people doing so many little things that you really can't do it in hospitality. It can't be a one woman show, a one man show. So it broke me down that I had to be super humble. Like if we, if we catch, if you catch me use the word I in this conversation, please correct me because we only want to use the word we when referring to the work we do, because there's a tremendous number of us doing everything I'm, I'm doing. It's we're doing this together. So humility is part of that is sharing the praise, sharing the struggles. So humility is core to our business principles. And then the third is ministry. And this one took me six out of the eight years to get to. We had all kinds of different expressions for what I was trying to get at. And this is the one that's meant to shock people. So if you're driving down the road and you're like, what's this guy talking about ministry and business? What the heck's he talking about? This is meant to be a little irking. And it came to us years later as we were, there were times where restaurant staff would quit and we're in the busiest season. We got a whole bunch of New Yorkers and I would step in and be the restaurant manager again because we were trying to build a business and we didn't have much overhead. So I'm sitting there on the floor talking to guests and I would watch how if we made a mistake uh, with a cheeseburger or whatever uh, and grandma's party was ruined, you know, the New York gentleman would be in my face hating me. Or if the next night we had an incredible meal and a great dialogue with the same type of family, how I would get a hug from grandma afterwards and a kiss on the cheek, you know? And I'm like, that's amazing. It's just the same. We made one mistake with the cheeseburger. I get it. But this is more than just an economic transaction. Something emotional is happening, especially in hospitality, but I think in all business. It's personal. It, it is. It's All things are personal, but hospitality is hypersensitive. I can explain why. There's a whole philosophy of why it's so intense. But I came to realize that if we shoot for making the best cheeseburger, we may or may not get there. But if we shoot for loving a person for their good in and of itself, that we will transform the whole experience into something beautiful. So yes, we're very good at making cheeseburgers now. We're very good at selling you beer and wine and all that great stuff, but you will feel our love when you're in our building. I can tell just by the way, Josh, that it shines through as you're talking about it. And I'd like to know, Jay, I'm, I'm, I think you might know where I'm going with this. You may remember this. In complete contrast to this whole Viva May concept, these three core Viva May values. Jay and I last year took the boys 
to a resort in Pennsylvania over spring break. Okay. And this is just reemphasizing why your approach is absolutely the right one. The resort we went to was stunning. It was absolutely beautiful. It goes through these winding roads. We start going up the hill. The boys are like, oh my gosh, are we staying there? It was absolutely drop dead gorgeous. We were in like a 1500 square foot suite with two bedrooms. I mean, it was just decked out phenomenal. Okay. That said, every last person who was working there, frankly, just seemed completely miserable They had no desire to real. When you talk about someone acting like they're doing you a favor to get you a cup of coffee, they act like I was just sticking a dagger through their heart. How dare you ask me for help on anything? And because of that, it was probably one of the worst experiences. And I could not wait to leave, despite the fact that it was a great building. And I think that's a nice example of how your three core values, these Viva May values, work in any business, right? If the product is the building itself, you can have the most gorgeous, awesome, beautiful, fantastic, functional product. But from a service perspective, if you as a business owner, if your employees, if all of your associates, the people that provide that customer experience to those clients and customers can't do it with heart, can't do it with soul, can't do it with humility and a whole lot of joy, I don't see any reason to go back to that company. That amazing. So I think it's, yeah, it's just that Viva May, those core values, those principles are so applicable in any type of business. And I just want to piggyback on that because I think it's easy for us to think, okay, great. So Josh has this potentially really high-end product, this resort. Certainly when we think of like, there are, there are others. Ritz-Carlton is known for having this this kind of, this super luxury service. And it's real easy to fall into that trap of thinking, okay, yeah, these high-end luxury brands, they have to have this to compete. But it's not just the high-end luxury brands. If I think of other companies that have this, one that comes to mind is Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not the same thing, obviously. We're not paying real high luxury costs, but to a large degree, their staff has the same thing. They have the, the permission to do the right thing. They enjoy their job. They have fun. There's a humility. They're trying to make a, a, a personal, not just a, a transactional experience. Uh, Chick-fil-A. I mean, you can walk into a Chick-fil-A and spend literally $4.00. But you're going to get that same humility, joy, and personal connection as you do if you walk into Renault Winery, your winery, or the Ritz-Carlton. And so it's really, it's so important to emphasize that that these three core values, it's not just a luxury brand thing, and it's not just a, a resort thing. It is any business, any price point can implement these three things and can just absolutely change the experience that their customers have and at the end of the day elevate their brand and and and, you know and from by the way thank you so much and i'm hoping that you felt it when you were there because it's not always going to be one thing and i would say to all of us business owners this may not be your three core values but but perhaps you can get them down to one word perhaps you can search your heart and soul why are you doing this? Our, we have a podcast that you were on, Jay, and we always say, why are you doing this to our guests? Because you're doing something harder, meaning if you're an entrepreneur, if you own a business, it's harder to do that than to get a job. And hopefully you have rewards financially. Sometimes you don't, you lose your money. But you must have a why. 
W-H-Y. Why are you doing this? And when you find your why, I think you'll find your three core values. Now, for us, we made it like bold. We put this word soul in there. And that that came for me from like, remember, have you ever watched uh, maybe even Titanic or something like that? And the ship captains say 3,500 souls on board. And I remember thinking, oh, I always, or ships, airplanes sometimes say souls on board. And I thought that was interesting. So it's only boats and ships and planes that, that, that talk like that. So we want our hotels to feel like that, that, that people have infinite dignity and worth. And we're not going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, we're pretty good at apologizing. <laughs> if we do mess up grandma's cheeseburger, we own that right away. Grandma, we are so apologetic here. Let me get another one. And by the way, there's going to be this coming now. We're super grateful you're here. What can we do for you tomorrow? We apologize. And we don't actually get there to be perfect at anything, actually. But and we're the cool really thing is, trying. Yeah, and, and that whole apology thing, that that's the other thing that this reminds me of. If if Carol does, if Carol does something like kicks me in the shin or something, and then some random guy on the street kicks me in the shin, I'm gonna have two very different reactions. <laughs> Carol <laughs> Carol and I have an emotional connection, and 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 so when she does it, it's it's easy to say, okay, that was a mistake. It can be forgiven. I'll never think about it again. If some guy that I don't have an emotional connection with comes and kicks me in the shins, I'm going to remember that forever. And it, it was just like Carol was saying with this resort in Pennsylvania. We had one specific experience that was really, really bad, and had the rest of it been about joy had the rest of it been about humility, had the rest of it been about ministry, I would not even remember that situation. But the whole thing felt transactional and it felt like just a typical business transaction and they screwed up the business transaction. And so I do remember it and Carol remembers it and this resort is now not gonna get our business again. So Uh it really is a, you do things right. You can make mistakes and you can recover from those mistakes. Yep. Yeah, so, and that's part of it. That's that's part of that humility training. We teach. The, the great news is, is we're not even that woo woo. You know, I'm on a lot of shows, and people are like, "Oh, this might sound woo." We're not actually that woo woo. We're just saying the facts. If you embrace these three things, it will correlate. First of all, you'll probably be more at peace doing your job, and the, your peace will come through. Or now, this is another turnaround business strategy, Jay. You'll love this because I know you and I are very keen at teaching, and Carol, we're all keen at teaching people how to buy businesses sometimes. Sometimes you don't have to start them. I personally buy them now. But uh, we, sorry, see, there you go. You got to catch yourself. We, because I definitely don't do any of this by myself. We we buy businesses. And the first day we do this, Jay, we say, great, great news is just our way of presenting ourselves here. We have a clear mission. We know the why of why we're all here. Meaning we, the people who just bought this business and you, the 75 employees or whatever it was when we got into the last one. Great news. We can be clear with you and we want you here. That's like our opening speech. And we give an explanation why we want them here. We're going to share with you three core values and we're not going to be able to change on those. So if those fit your heart and you love these three things, you've never found a better place to work. Because we're not going to make it like work. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to be like we're winning every day, like a team. But if you hate these, and I mean hate, if you even hate one of them, you're going to hate it here. And it's okay if you resign. And so the first day I give my whole resignation speech, I say, it's okay if you resign, even if we work out a couple weeks or a month, because if you resign now, we'll have great references for you. We will respect you. And you're actually welcome back if you change your mind. 
But if we have to figure out how you hate it and you're undermining it, then we got to ask you to go. But it's better for you just to come forward. And so by being super clear with your teams, I think it can make your you could it can cut a lot of wasted politics out of your business. Josh, absolutely love, love, love everything about this. And these core principles are so powerful. And I love the fact that you encourage people and not only give them permission to resign, but encourage them to resign right off the bat if they're principles that aren't going to work for them. So talk to us a little bit, if you would, about how the collective we in your company, right? Like <laughs> you right. mentioned many times, it's not you, it's the we. How your team has used these principles in this Viva May concept and just everything about these core values to go about buying additional businesses. So thank you for giving me this platform because I want to thank everybody, especially my boy Dan, Alicia out there, Melanie, Kevin, all the great people that help us lead this. Let's answer the question about how we buy businesses, okay? So do we imply the Viva May strategies to buying businesses? Well, we do. And I'm going to transition here, and I hope everybody can hold on to the steering wheel as we make this tight turn. If our ultimate goal is to deliver 100 Viva May resorts over the course of 15 years, we're going to be really a community of investors. So what we did is we took a deep breath after we had built that multi-year experience of building literally at one of the top ranked resorts in the in the country and technically the world. And we had this wonderful success and we had this even better opportunity to reboot, create a brand new brand and do the exact same business model with Viva May. But Viva May is operations. So we are a super robust operating company. However, accountable equity is actually the we that buys everything. So this was an epiphany, Carol. And this is why I tell all of us who are listening today, feel free to adapt and try to use these three core principles in whatever business you're in. Because when I, I went out and met with a wonderful friend of yours and ours, Matt Faircloth and Liz Faircloth, and learned how to build a syndication company and create uh, a group of community investors. So they've taught me, they've actually joined my company with me. And that was the next evolution in my mind and heart, is I definitely learned that these same three core principles translate to the world of creating uh, an investment firm. So instead of an investment firm that is just, again, just the building, member of the building, ours is a heart. So yes, it's a building too, meaning we have to have a financial analyst, we have to have CFOs, we have to have an asset manager. We have all that. That's the building, let's call it. But we needed to know the why. So instead of just putting out deals, and using numbers, which are very compelling, we slowly learned how to implement the same three core values in accountable equity. And to the point where accountable equity is its own mission, meaning the name accountable equity is a mission for our investors. And so we, we have hundreds now of investors, millions of dollars, and they join us and we do learn and grow education. We, we have community events. And what we're doing is we're saying, what if we apply the same three principles to a community of investors. So that's really what takes 90% of my time now, Carol. So I, I'm really excited because I get out there and I travel and speak and whatever. And it's all about how do we create a community where we're adding multiple levels of value. Uh, we're treating people with that same infinite dignity and worth and we're creating community. So uh, that's actually how we buy businesses. Now, when we find a target resort business, um, we, I let me think out loud for one minute. I don't know 
if the first instinct of the first day of analysis is actually not whether or not they have the core values yet, it's whether or not the core values will transition this business to greatness. Now, those three core values are complemented with like a whole myriad of turnaround expertise. And the core turnaround expertise that we've developed is sales. No surprise here. If you buy a business that is struggling, like we always do, and we buy them affordably, we buy them with really great intrinsic value, there is a sales problem. There's probably a physical problem, meaning the building might be ugly in this case, and there's probably a hospitality problem, but there's also a tremendous sales problem. So we start with a sales analysis, to be honest with you, and we implement, we basically just apply, if we did the same sales process with the same mission and vision, would this business turn around? And once we get the answer yes, we go to the next step and make offers. And so what are you looking at to determine if the answer is going to be a yes or a no? What are some of the questions that you're asking? <laughs> I have an answer. Uh, I, uh, yeah, the, the question is this. Okay, well, this is just good old-fashioned. We just think, is the sales process broken right now? So we went into one of our recent projects we'll probably acquire here very soon. And they have, instead of what they need, which is three to four sales professionals with a process and a sequence, they have one. And now that tells you, like, are they being frugal? Well, they had 1,200 inbound leads for selling. That's impossible for one salesperson. In our business, in the resort business, these are the way we do our metrics. We build it around an alternative driver. So this is probably how I would buy any type of business. If they're operating, maybe even that break even or a loss, but there's an alternative revenue source that's sitting there and that they could just have. If they have that, plus their stable revenue, now what's the business worth? And is it worth doing this turnaround? So for us, it's weddings. Yes, resorts have numerous things, golf courses, in our case, a historic winery, hotels, resorts. But in our case, we love to build models around predictable sales struggle uh, cycles. And weddings are, are our expertise. So in that scenario, we go and we figure out how are they selling this alternative. And if they are ignoring it, we go, whoop wait a second, there's a whole revenue stream that we can build out. And then then we start the whole Viva May design team. Can we build this beautifully? Of course, we're never going to do it. Here's the great news, Jay. A couple years ago, my wife and I decided we're just not going to live our life without the three core values. We're not perfect. I have 10 kids. Sadly, we do raise our voice here. We're not perfect. But we're not going to, we're going to try every day. Okay. We're only going to do a business if we are going to implement those cultural values. And we have a whole strategy how we do it and the methodology and all that. So we're not going to buy that next resort unless Viva May Hospitality goes in, that culture. That's, that's, that's I hope that answers the question. Yeah. And, and it really says to me, like the, the whole answer there says to me that yes, Viva May is kind of it's, it's core to the business, but at the end of the day, it's still a business. And when you look at a business to buy, you're still looking at the bottom line. You're still looking you at have to. what are those sources of revenue? What's my revenue? What's my expense? What's my net income? And then presumably a multiple. And that tells you the value of your business. So Viva May isn't the business. Viva May is the product. Viva That's May right. is the thing you're selling to impact your bottom line. And so I, I think everybody has to look at it kind of as as your culture, your your the way you treat your customers, your customer service. That's part of your product, and, and it's and, and it's like that in any business. And I'd like to follow up and piggyback on that a little bit and talk about 
as you develop, again, these core competencies, these core values, it's very, it's, it's, it's noteworthy to think about, I would suspect there have to be at least some challenges, right, with the employees at these existing businesses sometimes. So I'm curious, similarly to how you talked about in this first turnaround, when you told people that if you're not on board with all of these three principles, please leave now, no hard feelings, and so on and so forth. Do you find that to be a challenge when you go uh, into these new businesses? Do you offer those same type of outs? Is it How do you oh, overcome yeah. that? Just just how does that work? Yeah, but without a doubt. Okay, so uh, that's great. So how we anticipate some challenges, right? So that we build that into the model. There's going to be a, ta- a takeover and a turnaround challenge. But I think everybody probably anticipates that in any distressed business. We anticipate some people are going to get going. But we really are rooting for everyone. So we start using this analogy of a, of a team, like an athletic team, and we say, guess what? I used to think it was a cheesy thing to say we're all a team. I, you know, what, what do you call your colleagues? You call them a family. You call them a team. You call them colleagues. You call them associates. We had a mental shift about three years ago where we, uh, my colleague was saying, we should change the terminology from associates to team. And I said, oh, man, that sounds like too cheesy. Well, then I woke up the next day, I was was watching football or something, and I realized teams only have two choices every day. They get on a field, and they get off the field as the winner or the loser. Rarely are there ties. Let's, Let's assume there's no ties. So I thought, oh my gosh, that's what team means, that we're in this together to win. So we shifted our whole mentality that we're a team. That helped our managers realize that when someone hates it here or is struggling and does is in the wrong seat at the wrong bus, they are actually going to jeopardize the whole team. And because we're a turnaround entrepreneurial business, teams are not, it's not IBM here. Okay. We are fighting for sales every day. As a matter of fact, the first thing we do as we take a turnaround is back to sales is we teach a principle called sales are sacred. And it, it correlates back to the fact that we think we're here to protect the souls. Souls meaning like on a boat, right? The These people need their jobs. The, the lady Yadira, who runs our housekeeping, needs us to be profitable. She needs her job and she's great at it. So sales are sacred. It starts with us at the top and we, we deputize a team of salespeople. We then thank them and we then teach uh, Yadira, the sales, the cleaning team, whoever's on the team, how to support the sales team. So we end up reorienting the business around sales, but not sales as prima donna or jerks. As a matter of fact, if they lack humility, they go. And we had a million dollar saleswoman last year. I actually liked her a lot, but she notoriously would come back and kind of undercut the other people. And they actually asked her to go. Now, a million dollars in the sales business and weddings in seven, eight months, when the property didn't have the look that Jay Skull saw, it was all pictures on a piece of paper with open walls, is remarkable. She was probably one of the top salespeople in the country, and we asked her to go. So that allows us to be consistent. We do anticipate turnaround challenges, but part of our pro forma, back to Jay's point, does account for either losses, and we fund them through capital syndicate raising the money up front for some short-term losses. So because we're a turnaround company, we anticipate challenges up front before stabilization. Maybe that helps. Because we're going into it with our eyes wide open, we don't find it to be that disruptive to our business plan. 
I love that. And I think that's just such a great, uh, a great note for everybody out there listening is if you do have buying a business in your future, it's well worth your while and absolutely critical to anticipate these turnaround challenges as part of your business. Perhaps like Josh said, make sure that you account for some short-term losses that are going to come as a part of that. I also would like to note on a side note, there are so many things I want to note right now, but there are so many good things in here. I do find it so fascinating, though, that just by changing that vernacular from associates to team, right, and like really, really pulling everybody into that analogy that you really as a team, you come out as one of two things, a winner or a loser, that it really shifts everybody's mentality and changes up the operations of your entire system by making sure that every single person on that team is pulling their weight appropriately. And 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 not even maliciously, right? They they may be yeah. struggling in the role they, sure. they found themselves in. And it allows our managers to always approach things with a certain amount of generosity to them. Mm-hmm. So when we find a person underperforming, it's always a conversation. And, and all of our team who are listening to this, I, you know this, uh, we, we always say, you know, we want to see if this is the right fit for you. And we, we definitely do mean that because, and, we'll, and we've also, we meet every week as a full 100% team. And that's how we build culture. And there's all kinds of great technologies and tech, I'm sorry, techniques we use there. But we do bring up the fact that we're jeopardizing the, the team and the business and and I love how sales are sacred has kind of been like a little crying, a rallying call for our whole team. And we really do connect it. We have these great team members that are part of what is called a houseman's crew, which is they carry things around and do hard work. They need their job. And they recognize that without that sale, we don't get to have their job become a 40-hour job. See, in hospitality, people, they're much more aware of sensitivity to revenue than in many other white-collar businesses. And so by allowing them to know that they can impact the team, which is 100% true, our housemen, which are guys that carry things around and have dollies and whatever, they all stop and greet every bride. Now, brides are very important to us because they, they, we sell weddings into 18 months in the future and stabilizes revenue. And they thank them. Welcome. Congratulations. And that's what we say. That's awesome. Let me ask you a question. So we're talking about culture. We're talking about treating the customer the way you would treat family. And, and your staff certainly did that. But here, here's a hard question for any business owner that wants to implement this. Every once in a while, you're going to have those customers that you can't make them happy. You're going to have those customers that um, they're going to be miserable. They're going to detract from your business. They're going to make the job difficult because they're making a scene at the front desk or how do you deal or how do you train your staff to deal with those customers that aren't good for your business? So I'll be uh, humble and honest here. About eight years ago, I would have been there like the first two full years as the vice president. And then the ultimately the president of my first company with this, I was literally there a lot on the peak days, So I was able to do that over the years. I've decided we've all decided that it's important to have specialists and strong, strong skills. So I always credit people like Kevin McCarthy. He He's really good at diffusing situations. In hospitality, you have to uh, approach everything. Uh, we, we use the old-fashioned Dale Carnegie principle where we try to see it from the eyes of the other and then allow that to sink into our first reaction. And then we also in hospitality know that we are not their mom or their rule. We're not the law. We are here for the greater good. So we do speak in terms of the greater good. 
the greater good of a, of a person who's smoking at the pool when it's a no smoking resort, right? We say, miss or sir, we appreciate that you want to smoke. Great news. We did design a very beautiful garden over here for smoking. Here's why we're bringing this up. Our area is a no smoking area. And as you know, we promise that to all the other guests. So we do speak in terms of the greater good that we're serving. We try to diffuse things. As they erupt, I will say this, Jay. We do not call our clients customers, and we have the privilege of not calling anyone a customer since 2012, because when you're in hospitality, you can only have a guest. Because once they enter the doors of your home environment, they cannot be a client anymore. They have to be a guest. So we will not allow a guest to abuse us, though, right? And we're not afraid to be firm. So it's okay. Our team is empowered. We're not, we are not going to make the wrong moral choice and have our staff hurt because of a belligerent, belligerent guest. No. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And I think it's uh, another, another really great noteworthy point for anybody in any business. I think you mentioned Kevin McCarthy, who's your rock star in diffusing these type of situations. Yep. And I would venture to say that pretty much uh, anybody who owns a business you can print, please disagree with me if you if uh, if you need to, Josh. I would challenge anybody to look inside their business. And even if it's not the person you would necessarily expect for that type of skill to be their expertise, you probably have somebody somewhere in your company who is an absolute pro at just being the peacemaker. So I would encourage any business owner to figure out who that person is and perhaps give them that additional task to just smooth things over when necessary. I appreciate you saying that because I think you're right. And as a matter of fact, Jay and I were on the Capital Hacking Show and he was talking about you, Carol, because you wrote, you helped, <laughs> he says you you were the driving force of the negotiation, the real estate negotiating book with Bigger Pockets, which I said, man, it takes a lot of guts to write a negotiation book and have it be a bestseller because it means you're like uh -huh. a guru at negotiating. So, so I want to get all this advice. And he says, here's the deal. My wife's the guru. Two, she says it starts with a relationship. So I think that's what you're saying is there's probably somebody in your team that knows how to relationally deal with issues. You got it. And P.S., I don't know how much Jay is paying you, but th thank hey, you. Go back. <laughs> Episode 111, he was incredible uh, thanking you, Carol. So he loves you. This this is great. And I know that uh, that we're in the process of buying another business. And, and every time we do this, every time we inherit employees, it's always, I it's kind of an ad lib. You go in that first meeting with the employees to say, hey, we're your new, I don't use the term family, but you want to kind of send that message. We're your new family and you're coming to work for us now. But I never really know what to say or how to to position that. And it, it, this has given me a whole bunch to think about so that when we close on this business, probably about six weeks from now, I'm going to be prepared to have this discussion oh, with here's yeah. our culture and here's our values. And we we hope everybody's going to to kind of be able to to kind of kind of glom behind that that culture and those values. And I love the idea of if you can't, that's okay. Let's figure that out now as opposed to later when it's hurting the business and, and really giving people, kind of putting people in that position where I'm not going to be mad at you if you need to leave, if you can't do this. I'm not going to give you a bad reference. I'm not going to try and destroy your life. Now's the perfect time for us to determine, do we see eye to eye? If not, 
I'm going to make your transition as easy as possible. You're going to make my transition as easy as possible. But if we decide to move forward, we're moving forward on a, with a unified front, a unified vision. And so like, I, I, my wheels are spinning for, the, for this, this first discussion with the new team we're going to have. Yeah, it brings peace. And look, I think it's self-evident. No, no one who's buying a business really wants to hurt anyone. As a matter of fact, the, the, the irony of business, and this is why we love the beginning of your show where it says, this is the MBA from the life school of hard knocks, right? Yep. Which is really the only way to learn business. Even though I went to business school, the school of hard knocks teaches it. You guys, the fact is, is business owners can probably be painted as the enemy sometimes. But really, I remember my first business, which I lost, I remember feeling like how it was a good epiphany where I was, we were the servants to the workers, which is fine. And that's where the premise of being a servant leader and just changing the way I understood leadership, because when I lost that business, that first business that we became the owners, Melanie and I, and it was, it was heartbreaking. It was a matter of weeks and weeks of me paying their wages and not making anything and losing and slipping further and further behind and realizing that they will never thank us for that. Never. Because they, they signed up for a job. We said we had a job and we were slowly losing that first job. This was like 12 years ago. And we were really at their service as the servant leader. So once you kind of get your orientation right, I think you can handle these types of tough conversations with peace. That's awesome. Okay. So this is where we're about to point of the show where we we talk about uh, or we do what what we refer to as the four more, where we ask you the same four questions that we ask each of our guests and then give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about where our listeners can find out about you and your businesses. Before we do that, I do want to give you an opportunity because we didn't get to talk about it uh, enough here. Tell us what's next. So, so you have Renault Winery that I know is kind of in the process of being built out. Tell us about where you are there. And I know you have another project kind of sure. uh, coming online. Tell us about that. Yes. So thankfully, the, the group of investors are national now. And what we'll, we'll probably do is we'll shift to a full-scale you know company that does investments. So we will, instead of just doing one project at a time, we will raise a fund, a sizable $25 million fund, and we'll start this process. We think this turnaround in the economy or this stress in the economy is going to be ideal for our type of business. So what is our type of business? Resort. Now, why resort? Real quick, it means many, many levels of revenue. That's what a resort means if you're a business analyst. Whereas a hotel means beds, sometimes no food. That means you only have one driver. It's a great driver. It's the most lucrative of all the drivers, but you have no way to control it other than what the economy is doing. Resorts, for example, the weddings, which are actually going up during Corona, ironically at our market, has allowed us to sustain and be strong. So we're a resort business operator. We know that the ones we buy, which are independent, they're not the resorts owned by Marriott, are going to be in tremendous stress because they're typically owned by a hobbyist. So we buy them out of the hobbyist hands, grandma, grandpa. We turn them back into what we call a four-star model. Really nice amenities, but not ritzy-ritzy, like really pleasant, beautiful. And then we implement our service. So we're in a real buying mode. So that's why we're seeking our first uh, aggregate fund. We'll probably have a property... Um, it's not currently done, so we'll talk about it le next time, but okay. uh, we'll probably have a deal soon. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Excellent. Okay. In that case, let us jump to the four more. I'm going to ask the first question. Is that okay, Carol? I'm going to assume that she, yes, she, she's probably muted. Okay. Yes, that is great. <laughs> I am having, in typical Carol fashion, 
uh, what's that word? Te- challenges. Technological, technological challenges. challenges with the mute unmute button. No problem. Figure. That's a tough one. Go ahead, Jay. Uh, okay. So I'm going to ask the first question. Normally, the first question is, what was your first or your worst jobs and what lessons did you learn from it? But you mentioned that uh, back when uh, when I met you or when, I, when we talked uh, at, at Renault, uh, you mentioned that you once either thought about or you bought a franchise. I did. Yeah. Didn't work out well. I want to hear about that. Tell us a little sure. bit about that, that franchise that you bought and what lessons did you learn from that? So because... Carol and I talked earlier and we said, this might go long, but, but we got, I want to answer all your questions, but I want to say good news is they did a whole article about it in a book called don't quit. But it, uh, it was, we bought a business during the recession of 08 that was called hoods H O O D Z. And we said, we said to ourselves, well, it's, it's a terrible time to be out selling, but if it's government required purchases, which it's a fire safety cleaning company, it cleans out restaurants, believe it or not. So our flaw was a couple we bought a franchise, which was, I bought it on purpose to learn how to become a franchisor. It's always my mind is to be prototyping how to build this out. So I bought it. I made it clear to them why I was buying it. We bought it and a couple accidental flaws in their model. That's okay. But the biggest flaw was mine. I didn't realize that selling S A L E is actually the entire trick to business. And I thought operations and a great quality product and a phenomenal team was the way to build a business. And I blew it for five months. I didn't know how to sell. And at about the six month mark, after we had invested all of our cash and I had to let everybody go, I became a salesman. And that changed my heart about sales. That's when it became sacred to me. It was literally the lifeblood I became realized. And we pay him pretty good at it. But at first, we had so much losses that by the time we were picked up, um, I think we became in the second six months, one of the fastest growing franchises in America in the business. But that didn't mean that I could pay back my back dues. And so when they gave me an ultimatum, I literally handed the keys. So I lost my whole investment, a year's worth of pay, because even though I started making money in the second half, I was catching up on my first month, six months dues, paying for their truck. But I loved it. I have to admit, I loved it. We got kicked so hard in the gut that there's a story in this book where Melanie is just so furious because she actually didn't want me to buy this. So I begged her and I bought it. And she says, she just hated it. She was so mad at me. And I looked at her, I said, I feel like we're in the middle of the movie, honey. We are in the middle of the movie. Don't worry. This is that part you need in the movie to get to the other side. So that was a big setback, but a a good one. That's a great lesson. A lot of people think you buy a franchise and it comes with customers. It comes with like a built-in marketing system that can't fail. And what people don't realize is, yeah, it comes with the systems. It comes with the processes. But that's still the hardest part of any business, whether it's a franchise or not, is is that that generating revenue. It does work if you sell, right? Yeah. So that business would have worked if I would have had my head. Maybe I wasn't. I didn't listen to podcasts back then, so I didn't know how important sales were. They seemed like a part of the business, but when you are buying a business or or building a business, sales, I'm sorry, is the whole story until, until later. And you've said over and over and over that now you operate with one of the core tenets that sales are sacred. And maybe that's one of the silver linings out of that experience. Okay, I'm going to take the second question, but I'm going just completely off script here because I really need to ask this custom tailored question that's custom tailored just for you, Josh. So 
a few times you have mentioned your beautiful wife, Melanie, and you've mentioned that you have 10 kids, which is absolutely awesome. Thank you, buddy. So I'd like, I would love for you to share how you and Melanie are able to work together as business partners while you're raising 10 kids. And really, I'm giving you an opportunity here to just give a big old shout out to your amazing rock star wife. So, you know, she is a um, a powerhouse, but she also doesn't like any spotlight, right? So I've had her on stages. I've had her on all kinds of stages and uh, podcasts. And it's hilarious because she just, she actually shines when I force it. But she'll never take me up on the offer. So I sometimes sneak her into podcasts and things like that. So she is, we're 22 years married. It's actually our children, which if we would have adopted, that would have been beautiful too. But they're our children and no twins. So this poor girl has been through the utter challenge of pregnancy that many times. I, I thank her all the time. Uh, here's how we do it. We have a 20-year-old <laughs> and we have a whole team of support staff on the team and the littles, we, we call it the bigs, the mids, and the littles. The bigs are like adults, man. As soon as you're 14, you're like, our kids are pretty tall. They're like five and a half, six, five feet, six, and then sometimes they're six feet. I'm like, you're an adult woman now. You're 14, but you're an adult, okay? So we have several of those adults, and uh, they can do whatever they need to do. And then the mids are pretty good, too. I could leave the mids in charge. And the littles are like a little huddle of ladies. They're pretty tight little ladies. And then we just had this baby, 10, 10th baby, who's a boy. So we hadn't had a boy in a long time. Well, let me, and let me tell you something. So when I was up at Renault a couple months ago, Melanie was actually giving us a tour at nine and a half months pregnant. Yes, she, she thought was. she was going into labor about two hours after the tour. We were, we were in the, uh, we were in a conference room and she's like, I, I need to leave. <laughs> so yeah, she's, she's, she was working hard. She was working. So, Didn't she have her birth story featured on something? Yeah, recently? yeah. She was. Uh, so there's this great group, Last Life Ever. And it's, uh, you probably know Jillian Sidoti. I do. Uh, okay, so she's great. She she wrote a book and Melanie was one of the features in it. It's the Corona Collective, Coronavirus Collective for charity. And they, they featured her 10th baby story, which happened right in the middle of coronavirus, as you know. Yep. So, uh, no, she. bottom line is she has, uh, she has a lot of skills that I don't have. So it's great. I never had her as a partner before, but she, we're one of those families where, like you guys, we talk, we invest together, we talk together. So she always knew how we were doing our business building. And so now that she steps in, it's an incredible feminine voice. And uh, I desperately know there's a difference between the feminine genius and the guy idiocy. So we love having her in a lot of different meetings. Uh, it's added a lot. That's awesome. Okay. That's awesome. Love Question it. Question number three, we we're talking about a book there. I want to know what, so you mentioned the E-Myth, obviously, is one of the best books of all time for, for business owners. What other book can you can you say that you've really loved and has changed you? Please, I have, I am such an advocate of this book, okay? And here it is on the video. It's, it's the um, Dale Carnegie's book, okay? And this is that book where Sometimes you'll meet really powerful people and you'll say, what book do you recommend? And they, they'll typically say Dale Carnegie. Now, you can test if that's true for your life, but in my true, it was. So, for, But the book title is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And some people reference it. I have done like an exegesis on it because I think it's profoundly good. It's 100 years old. So the title, I think, is cheesy, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I always say if we were writing this book today, we would call it How to Serve Others and and Lead because it's all about putting yourself in their shoes at all times. 
and then serve through influence. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. And it is an awesome book. I could not agree with you more. Okay, so here's our fourth and my favorite fun question, Josh. What is something that you have splurged on either at home or in your business life along the way? That was totally worth it. Melanie and I uh, debated what to tell you guys because I said, what are we buying these days? She goes, we don't splurge. I said, I I agree. We don't. We went to Colorado as an entire family, first time ever skiing with GoBundance. And Jay knows tons of oh. GoBundance people and uh, Brandon Turner and all those great people, Josh Dorkin now. And so we brought them to fam- family uh, mastermind called FanBundance, and that was brutally expensive last year. So not this year, a year ago. I, I find it Big funny. You, you, you say you don't uh, you don't splurge. See, for us going to a high end resort to splurging, you just buy those resorts. Yes, <laughs> that's so, that's that's the ultimate capital hack, right? Like you benefit from the things you're doing for business. I there you it. go. There you go. Awesome. Well, this is fantastic. Let's jump into the more part of the four more, and that's where you tell our listeners where they can find out more about Josh McAllen, more about Renault, more about Accountable Equity. Well, that's more nice about, of you. And any anything you want to anything you want to tell us. You know, I'm not here to uh, to sell anything. I'm just so grateful to to share. As a matter of fact, I would love for you. There's there's ways for you guys to get involved on accountableequity.com. Just find out more about what we're doing. And as a matter of fact, I even put up a page uh, accountableequity.com/bp-business, uh, and we're going to give away some gifts for people to come to the resort. So that's that's fun, and that's a way for you to get to know how our investor community and education program works. And then there is something else. Episode 111 was the J. Scott episode on Capital Hacking. CapitalHacking.com, a fun podcast. Jay was incredible, and he dis- he distilled the keen opportunity right now in business acquisition, business buying for most people. Please check it out. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Now you're pitching me on uh, on my own show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Josh, this was absolutely fantastic. Very excited about your upcoming project. Love to have you back in a in a year or so and hear more about how that's going and can disclose some of the details. Thank you so much for this. And this was just absolutely amazing. Thank you both. You're incredible, Josh. And say hi to Melanie and the bigs, mids, and littles for us. <laughs> you <okay>? got it. <laughs> Talk soon. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Fantastic episode. I love the fact that you could tell with Josh, his entire life is all about experience and doing the right thing and focusing on others and serving. Um, I mean, he really, he he lives those ideals of joy and ministry and humility in his everyday life. Completely agree. And I've got to say, I just love to the simple fact that those three principles that provide a high-end experience in a high-end resort are just 100% actionable and applicable in any type of business. So no matter what kind of business you're running, no matter what kind of business you might be buying, acquiring, trying to grow, et cetera, it is just critical to have those types of measures in place so that your team jumps on board and you can grow. Yep. And like I said in the, in the interview, I am honestly going to be implementing that in in the business that we're buying in the near future and with our team and our employees. So anyway, I think we're done here. We ready to wrap this one up? Let's wrap it up, baby. Alrighty. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Have a, a wonderful beginning of June and leading into the summer. And we will talk to you soon. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now go define and implement your core values throughout your businesses today. Wow. That was a mouthful. I know. That was super fancy.
<laughs> Thanks, everybody. See, have a great day. See ya.